Hello everyone, I'm here today. It's not really look at my slides and take some notes talk, even though you're, you're free to look at my slides and take some notes. <laughs> um, it's more suppose like a different talk about how I became self-employed. I'm sure there's a million and one paths to way to, to self-employment and I just thought some people might find it interesting and there's going to do some tips at the end for freelancers. So you know, I, I'm quite happy for you to ask me questions as we go along if there's anything that comes up or wait to the end, it's entirely up to you. Okay, so how it all began. It's a bit like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, it's just another hobbit from the Shire. Um, all right then, so yeah, I was doing a nursing course and I created a poetry webpage and I was interested in the internet because, well, I like reading and you know, it was a way to read for free, I suppose, and um, there was lots of interesting stuff there and I was trying to, I suppose, promote the poetry webpage and um, after I quit nursing after three years, um, I was, you know, trying to find new jobs and new opportunities and um, this is all a long time ago now so the exact time scale, the exact uh, periods on the time scale is all a bit blurry but you know I helped a few friends and acquaintances who were self-employed because I found out about ways to sort of create a little web page or something like that, I didn't know any code. Like a, f a friend actually showed me how to create a hyperlink, he was working in IT back in the late 90s and like you know earning 400 quid a day and I was like you know barely scraping by and he was like we'd go out for the night and he'd just park illegally and click happily collect the 40 pound fines every time you know you couldn't be bothered with uh, the niceties like that and you know my friends would be all shaking their heads like the way some of you all shaking your heads and I like I was just in terms of the nursing thing I did mental health nursing in um the West London areas or Hounslow Borough and um, you know I read a statistic that the average nurse working in central London did three years and quit I was a nurse working on the outskirts of London I did less than three years and quit so yeah I was a statistic so um, yeah at some point I read about SEO I, I think I was on the train and uh, the, the Guardian used to have a separate section for the technology news and I, I read about SEO and thought, oh, that sounds easy. Like, it didn't have an IT, it didn't have a GCSE in computing or IT. Um, and, but it, it sounded easy um, in my naivety. Um, and as part of my progression or career path beyond nursing, I got a job teaching English as a foreign language in Belgium. And if the students didn't turn up, you had to do photocopying because they were so tight that they wouldn't buy a textbook, they would just illegally photocopy materials. So to get out of photocopying, I realised they had an SEO issue in the, in, the, in the sense that they didn't rank for their own name on google.be. And so I just sort of dived in doing what I thought would be SEO, trying to build some links for them, and it got me out of photocopying. So. Um, that's that really um, and after teaching I didn't enjoy that very much I was sort of floundering I was like you know what to do next and my sister's friend 
her and her husband have started up a web design company. My sister told me that they weren't doing very well. And just out of the blue, I contacted my sister's friend and did a bit of link building to her site, like, again, not really knowing what I was doing. Um, and that got me a part-time job there uh, for a couple of days a week for about six months. And they got rid of the member of staff and I fell into their job. And I was there for about two years until the 2008 recession. And um, around the time of the 2008 recession, it was a family business and they didn't have enough work really for to sustain the whole company. So I was the, uh, the head on the chopping block. And yeah, it was a bit of a shock. It was the first time I've ever been made redundant. And you know, I was old as I am, in my mid 30s. And I was like, what, what am I going to do now? Was this sort of two years in IT um, just part of my rich and diverse portfolio career, as, as, as I like to call it? Um, or, you know, can I maybe start a business or something like that? And soon after they made me redundant, they offered me some work at four times my old hourly rate. And I was like, in those days, I had more hair to scratch. Um, and I was like, they were obviously feeling guilty in some sense because there was that sort of family connection. And I don't think I was particularly well treated there, to be honest. Um, or was the doctor, you know, literally being sent to the shop to buy doilies to put biscuits on, um, as well as uh, doing some uh, great SEO and customer service and all the other range of duties I had at that time. So, yeah, like four times my hourly rate, I was like, I've got to give this a go. Um, and they gave, pushed another bit of work, another bit of work my way. And it, it took about six months to get it sort of ticking over on a, you know, a barely breaking even sort of scale. And 10 years later, here I am. And as you can tell, it's feast and famine, Primark jeans, Dolce & Gabbana shirt. <laughs> uh, both from the charity shop, I hasten to add. It's more on the, the, the famine side than feasts. Um, I'm only here for the beer and pizza. Uh, uh, and yeah, that's, I suppose, just the sort of the story. Um, and it was just one little story in terms of how I've been working over the years, like I thought would be quite interesting to talk about, is that in the early 2010s, Google did an update to the algorithm called Panda, which is about identifying low quality content on the internet. And up until that point, one of the SEO techniques I'd been taught in my previous job was like article distribution. Anyone familiar with article distribution? It's some sort of low quality syndication of, or, or, of articles on the web um, with often you know, your, 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 your link back with your keyword rich anchor text, which is the clickable text in the link, which if you use your money keywords in there, well in those days, that would be, have some weight in, in, in Google's eyes. So I, I thought about that technique and I thought, these are all low quality websites. It's all like duplicate content that, that they, these websites content is near enough entirety is duplicated across lots of other websites. There's nothing unique about any of these sites. So I thought, I need to, we need to stop doing this in my work with my various clients at that time. And 
because I thought if they can identify a low quality page, they can identify a low quality link based on the quality of, 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 the, of the content. So um, I was basically predicting the next update of the Google, major update of the Google algorithm was called Penguin, which was about identifying low quality links. Um, so that's just something I, I thought I'd drop in there as how things have been changing, but still they remain the same. I don't think there's anything new under the sun, really, in terms of SEO over the last 10 years, in terms of the fundamentals. Um, I think the main issue is the technology, you know, moving to the mobile web, so the need for a usable, fast website. I think that's what the major change I've, I've seen. Um, and I, I suppose other changes, Google has become a lot better in communicating. I think they've got worse again recently. There used to be a guy called Matt Cutts. Have you heard of Matt Cutts? He was the um, head of web spam, was his official job title. They now works the American government, I think. And now they've got another guy called Gar is Gary Ilias, if memory serves. Like, I haven't been sleeping too well recently, so I'm not functioning 100%. Um, and his, his job title on his social media and stuff like that is like head of sunshine and happiness or something like that. He doesn't want to you know, put himself out there in that public facing way that Matt Cutts used to do. Matt Cutts was very communicative um, and responsive, whereas the new guy, maybe Google is trying to sort of hold his cards closer to his chest again, which you know, is, is their prerogative, but... Um, yeah, that, 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 that's how it is at, at, at the moment. All right, so any questions about how it all began? <laughs> well, as, as Studio Republic are a, an ethical marketing agency, I thought it might be interesting to talk about the, eth the ethical aspects of the work I do and others do in SEO. And I don't know if you can all see that, to be honest. Um, can you all see that? Yeah. yeah. So, a year or two ago, one of the engineers at Google said there's three main factors in how Google ranks its results. Links, which is both internal and external. Um, the main one of value being who is linking to your website. Google's seeing links as votes. So say this, for, say this afternoon, on my way down, I uh, created a blog and Time magazine linked to it, the, the Sun, you know, all the influential SEO bloggers all linked to it. In Google's eyes, if you're getting links from respected, trusted entities, they are the highest value links, highest value votes for your website, for your content. And by contrast, if you typed in buy backlinks into Google and bought 2,000 links, which all sprung up this afternoon from low quality websites, all with your money keywords anchor text in the links, that's the, almost the opposite of that, earning links naturally. So, yeah, just talking about link building in the sort of the normal way that, well, it's done. I think th this is in contrast to the, the buying links I've just talked about. Um, I think it quickly becomes, it was, are you familiar with the terms white hat, grey hat and black hat? So, I suppose, what white hat, this is used in various um, industries, various uh, technologies. What White Hat is ethically sound, uh, legal, 
grey hat is the borderline between the two um, and black hat is stuff like hacking websites um, and not obeying well arguably not obeying Google's webmaster guidelines if you've got any questions about how Google works Google's webmaster guidelines are where to go they're all published online as you might expect so being honest about things link building in my experience quickly becomes grey hat you are using other people's websites to drop links um, oh, let me give you an example so you know stuff like social bookmarking websites stuff like that you know I'm being honest here that in my mind at least it, it's it, it's probably on the borderline somewhere between white and grey hat um, like ethically personally I don't have a problem with it because I suppose you're using their website for your purpose and I'm, I'm going to contrast it with um, the black hat stuff later on which I, I think is wrong and I don't do that and never have done for various reasons which I'll go into so another technique which is used is like blog spam like you can do automated commenting on other people's blogs like it, for me it's the equivalent of you know people tagging on the wall I'm a big fan of subway of, of graffiti art from New York of the 70s so I'm not into, not against graffiti but I don't like tagging so it's and it's it, it, it is sort of basically the van, like vandalism on the internet and I, I don't like that so um, I, I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't recommend you do it either so buying links it's against Google webmaster guidelines you can get penalized by Google for it you can get de-indexed by Google for it is it wrong is it illegal <laughs> I'll leave you with that one um, I think I've always shied away from buying links because still to this day it's like people are literally building their own link networks you know they're not going to an external party and getting obtaining links from there they are literally building their own network of websites interlinking them all and stuff like that for SEO purposes like Google like Okay, I'm aware I'm saying like a bit too often, but as I say, I'm uh, sleeping too well. Google, there's obviously some couple of thousand people with a PhD in California. Collectively, they're probably all a bit cleverer than me or any other SEO <laughs> consultant. So I've never underestimated Google and their ability to sort of catch up with the, the, the black hat and the, the dark grey hat techniques. And they've maybe been slow over the years, but they are capable of um, of identifying this this sort of stuff. So th that's been my sort of main concern, in practically in terms of the link building stuff that I've done, um, is that I don't want to do anything which is identifiable to Google as black hat. Grey hat, but 
when I say the stuff I have done is great, that's sort of my personal ethical opinion. And I think Google, I've never had, I've been asked to remove one link by one client because Google does penalize websites and you have to um, sometimes disavow links to Google. But there's a form in Google Webmaster Tools where you say to Google, please ignore these links to my website because that they, they do penalize websites and this is part, part of the procedure that some people are asked to do. And if you have a, a formal penalty, there's one called the unnatural link penalty, you also have to do a reconsideration request, which is basically grossing up your previous SEO consultants and saying, please Google, let me back in your index or please uh, forgive me. It's, uh, it's almost a religious experience. Um, so. Yeah, that, that's that side of things. So, I, I'm not an expert Mac user, so I'll, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to show this to you. So, a, a big SEO technique is hacking websites. M more in the sort of porn pills and casinos type area. It's called, it's, called like, it's called parasite hosting, the idea that you can create a piece of content on a trusted website and Google will rank it well. So say for example, I did a check this afternoon, Cheap Viagra, there's 880 searches monthly on Google for that phrase in the UK, 8,100 globally. That's just for that exact phrase, like there's all sorts of permutations. There's um, an... The, the, the domain che.ac.uk is some college in Chelsea, I think. That's ranking about second or third for cheap Viagra at the moment. And this has been going on for years and Google hasn't got a grip on it. So, I, again, I wouldn't recommend that, mainly because it's illegal. <laughs> so, um, and there's other, well, some of it's technical and some of it isn't really. In the past, in, very, in certain search engines, you could stuff your keyword in every second sentence, and that would have, give you some ranking benefit. But it doesn't create a good experience for users. In the same way, a slow website or, or a website that isn't usable on a mobile phone doesn't create a good experience for users. So it's not going to necessarily help your business in, in the long term. And there's other things which people are doing, like clo including cloaking, which is showing Google's crawler, which is crawling the web and indexing the web, one piece of content and showing users another piece of content. And that again is not illegal, but um, you can get penalized by Google for that. So that was just a sort of a, a broad brush overview of the, uh, some of the ethical aspects of the sort of day-to-day -day stuff that I do and what other people do. Any questions? That college that you were just saying about, it's not a Viagra page. Yeah. Have they not, have actually told them that? I used to use this sort of, identifying that sort of stuff as a um, business opportunity. I used to contact people about this stuff. And I literally, there was one guy up in Northamptonshire, I think, I told him his site was hacked one year, and then I contacted him again the year after to tell him the same. I'm not sure if that site had been hacked again in the intervening period. I'm not sure the ins and outs of it. But put your hand up if you've got a WordPress website. WordPress is one of the most popular 
content management systems in the world and because it's one of the most popular it's targeted by hackers and because it's open source it's and it's built of various building blocks people will target a certain building block of the website like say your SEO plugin there's one called Yoast for um, SEO on WordPress websites most of the websites you'll see that are hacked are WordPress so would the word fence or something like that um, protect the site against that yeah there's all sorts of solutions out there um, and yeah you need to keep on top of it whether you use some uh, a product like that or have someone who knows about the updates um, doing the updates for you you've got to be on top of it because it's uh, it can be a major business critical issue Google can and will de-index hacked websites Yeah. Um, it's the short answer. Um, any other questions about ethics? Am I going to hell? I'm not sure. <laughs> Purgatory? Possibly. No, no. I'm, um, fast track heaven. I'm going to end off with give, sharing a few what I would consider to be tips for people who are freelance or trying to go freelance. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was networking and public speaking. And I'm sort of contradicting myself in terms of the topic I'm talking about today. But one thing I found useful in the past was to sort of find an angle where you're not directly promoting yourself, but indirectly promoting yourself. Like in the past, I did talk, some talks on ad blocking. Are you familiar with online ad blocking? Like there's a statistic that around 20% of people in the UK use an online, use a, a block, ad blocker in their browsers. So by talking about the, the drawbacks of pay-per-click advertising, I was able to sort of promote myself as an SEO consultant. So it's, it, you, I've been to many conferences, well, I've been to a few conferences, and sometimes it will literally be rehash, the same talk, rehash, same talk, rehash, and people passing on their expertise for free to their competitors which is um, something I'm not doing here <laughs> so it's about trying to find the, an interesting angle where you're indirectly promoting yourself, I think that's a um, an, a useful tactic which has worked for me and networking um, I think the greatest value you'll get in networking is when someone recommends you at a networking event. Like, I don't know, put your hand up if you go business networking a lot. Um, often you'll find a room of people trying to sell their consultancy services to one another and it's just like, it's no fun. Uh, so, often at um, business networking events people will introduce themselves to the room and to be publicly recommended like about two years ago it looked like my business had run its course you know they, they say the average business lasts about a year if that and I stretched it out by uh, by, by by luck charts or hard work um, to about eight years and it, it just I think at that time everyone was mad about social media and they were just 
you know, concrete companies were spending £10,000 on social media marketing, even though no one on Facebook is really remotely interested in buying wholesale concrete supplies. Um, you know, it, 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 I think the world went a bit mad for a while, but, and uh, my business suffered. But being recommended publicly, I saw how that word of mouth literally bounced down two or three people along the line who'd never met me. Well, I think the person at the end, the, the client at the end had never met me, and the person that recommended me, uh, yeah, it was literally sort of the recommendation from that public, rec from the initial recommendation in public, it bounced down three or four people and it sort of rescued my business. So I think that's something which is re really worthwhile. So the idea that you go networking with your clients or your associate companies that you work with and try and help each other in that way. I think it, it, networking should be a team effort. So, any questions about networking or public speaking? As, as you can tell, I'm an expert public speaker. <laughs> okay, so before you go freelance, like I didn't plan on going freelance, as I think might have worked out by now. And it dawned on me afterwards that there were certain things I could have done to make that transition, if I'd known about it, easier. Um, so I never had a website before I went freelance. Um, I think, you know, from reading industry magazines and stuff like that and, you know, looking at competitors' websites, your case studies and your testimonials are what it's all about. So if you can go freelance and say, I've worked for this big name and that big name and we achieved this and that, that is all you need in a sense to sort of get stuck in. Um, and LinkedIn is a professional services search engine. People, I get inquiries from LinkedIn all the time. I used to, at one point, my LinkedIn profile ranked number one on Google for Freelance SEO London, even though I never had a business address in um, London before or since. It's not, it's not the main key phrase, Freelance SEO Consultant London was, but I've built lots of links with the, the, those keywords in the anchor text without the word consultant. So, and that, that was around the time of when Google started penalising websites with low quality links. And that's an example of that parasite hosting technique, the idea you're creating content on a, a trusted website that Google will, can and will rank. And I'd built links to it as well, because I'd seen content from LinkedIn on the second page for that result, and I thought, let's give it a go. This is really written for sort of for going freelance as an SEO consultant, but the principles remain the same. So, as I said earlier, to get something to rank, you need other websites to link to it. So, get your partner companies to link to you your suppliers, um, your business associates, um, and you can look, look at where your competitors are getting their links from as well. There's lots <coughs> of paid tools out there, Ahrefs is a good, ahrefs.com is a good backlink tool, quite expensive, so you might just want to get a month's subscription. So one thing I got unstuck with at first, because 
I didn't really get involved in the commercial side of things at my previous company, other than I suppose really knowing what their hourly rate was. So this is an interest. This is quite a good one actually. I think their hourly rate back in two thousand and eight was eighty quid roughly, and then the boss's brother, his family business, you know, protected employment and stuff like that. There. He took his car to a Nissan garage in Aldershot and he was very well spoken, very posh. And they charged him something like £180 an hour labour on his rubbish little Nissan car. After that, the agency's rates went up to about £180 an hour. So, yeah, you've got to study salary surveys. You need to get paid for your experience and you don't want to be too cheap. Like, that was a problem I had at first. I was trying to price myself to work, but in at least one case, the feedback was I was too cheap. And as a freelancer, you can undercut agencies. I think, yeah, before you go freelance, start business networking in the real world. This can be for your current company. I know it's very hard if you've got family or you know something better to do in the evening. You don't necessarily want to go and do that, but you know it, it could be a learning community, like Winchester Creatives. Um, you might even get some time off in lieu from your boss from doing it if you're out there promoting the company. If you're not in a client-facing role, getting out there and, well, I suppose, selling the company or selling yourself is all good experience. Get some business cards. Vista Print are relatively cheap and cheerful. And if you want a specimen, I've got some in my bag. <laughs> and I'm not on commission. <laughs> okay, so when you go freelance, like, I'm sure a lot of this is just common to a lot of businesses, but if you're not really aware of it, it's useful to know. Take a deposit on your work, 25% or more, and remember there'll be bank charges when international clients pay you from abroad, because that will dig into your, um, your pay. It's, an, it's a business expense, but still it, it can be quite significant actually. And, you know, I'm being honest here, if, if you're if you're thrown into freelancing and it is literally a needs must situation, can you poach your old company's clients? It is dog eat dog out here to a certain extent. Well, it's dog eat dog out here, that's, that's it. Um, I've not done it. You can probably burn a few bridges by doing that. You probably won't get any business from your previous company after that. But this is sort of, this is being honest, this is. This is just a, 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 a strategy. You've got to get a grip on the tax side of things. You need to know, learn about what allowable business expenses are. They vary if you're a limited company or a freelancer. We talked about case studies and videos. And back to the charging thing, you're gonna to have to spend a certain amount of time every week doing non-chargeable work, networking, Studying, you need to keep up to date with the latest trends and stuff in your industry, just general business news. And doing your admin, chasing your clients for payment. So with the best will in the world, if you work a five day chargeable week, you will have to be working some evenings and weekends. So possibly something around a four day chargeable week works in my view. And also you need to think about the fact that there's no such thing as paid holidays anymore. You've got to factor your holidays into your charges. I've talked about LinkedIn, how it should be a focus of social media activity. I think it's 
usefulness has declined over the years. And I think, as well as case studies and testimonials, starting blogging on your own website is good evidence for people who are discovering you to see a little bit more about you and your expertise. And you should also seek guest blogging opportunities on these high traffic relevant sites for your industry with the link back to your website in the byline because they probably won't pay you for it or they might not, they might not pay you for it so that will be your payment and yeah so that, that's um, very important I've, not, I've done a bit of it but not, not a great deal to be honest um, but I would recommend it to clients um, so again talking about charging you need to always incorporate into your charges scoping the work so every piece of work you've scoped, you won't get, but the ones that do engage you, you need to have factored into that, the fact that you've spent some time scoping the work and writing the proposal or whatever. You've got to, whether you're actually charging them for the traveling to meetings, you need to, I mean the travel time, you've got to really factor in the cost of that travel. Um, and sometimes on the first piece of work, it's sometimes hard to judge. I think they say one in seven people in the UK is now self-employed. And so that means I'm competing with a lot of freelancers as well. You've got to think about the things to give you a unique selling point. I've been scratching my head again, thinking what is my unique selling point? Um, and I'm not sure there's anything unique as such, but I suppose maybe some of the blogs I write, I don't really know. You know I'll, I'll be doing a questionnaire later. Um, so, alongside that, you need to think about the things that give you a competitive advantage. Uh, in the SEO industry, people give away a lot of expertise for free at conferences and in their blogs. So you need to think about the information you'll be happy to share online and the stuff that you won't. I think, we talked about the importance of content um, because it is a content arms race. You've got, I think nowadays, it is at the line of you give away your trade secrets and people do that all the time in the SEO industry. So in terms of the things I don't give away, I don't give away how I build links. Uh, it's pretty much based on competitor analysis, but you know, I've wrote, written a list now of the various types of links that you can build and that is my unique selling point maybe not that I sell it as a unique selling point but it is something that maybe gives me a competitive advantage as I said I've only been asked to remove a link once by a client um, and that's that so and think, think local before you go global get your Google map listing and get some reviews and get your recommendations on LinkedIn. Try and find partner companies and freelancers to work with. Um, that's not necessarily being in the same room, uh, but it's, it, it makes life easier. You know, you can maybe share the costs of uh, tools that you, you're using or stuff like that. Um, 
refer each other business. Yeah, ideally the partner companies are not competing with you. They're in a, uh, an associated industry. So someone like me would be maybe a web designer company. Uh, back to payment, be aware of late payment legislation and the small claims court process. Sometimes clients don't pay. So the small claims court process is very quick and easy nowadays online. There's lots of free business advice out there. Uh, the government funds lots of business startup uh, companies, business startup advice agencies and companies throughout the country and you get some free business advice where you just sort of get you onto the right track and it doesn't have to be too in depth and you can just go from there. Finding a workspace from home can sometimes, a workspace away from home can sometimes be necessary. The library can do but not for phone calls. Finding a permanent workspace can be an unnecessary cost if you're working in-house a lot or away at meetings or networking for sniff for a significant part of the working week. I had a shared office for a while, it was pretty cheap. It was in um, an art centre in Farnham in Surrey and it was about 160 quid a month, no hot water, uh, the, the electricity was on a meter, no, no, no hot water, no central heating, uh, I hasten to add. And there were some weeks I was either away or at meeting, uh, either away working in-house or at meetings, like three out of the five days and I couldn't justify the expense even though it wasn't very much because the guy I was sharing with moved out so it would have meant I'd have to take it on my own and maybe sublet it. I didn't want the hassle to be honest. So like all businesses, freelancers should keep their expenses as low as possible. Are you likely to get much work from a thousand pound two day conference? <laughs> Not that I've ever paid a thousand pound for a two day conference. But in all likelihood, I would say, unless you're presenting or um, if you've got a stall there, it would be another couple of thousand pounds. The answer's going to be no. So you've got to keep a close grip on the purse strings or wallet strings. I'm very gender neutral. <laughs> um, so. Another expense you might have if you're, don't laugh, but you're, uh, it's, it's, I'm very physically correct. Um, so, <laughs> another expense you might have, even though you haven't got an office, to look professional, you might get a virtual address. And that can be a significant cost as well. Uh, you can hide your business address on the Google Map. So it just appears the town. So you don't have to list yourself on the Google map with your full address, so you can keep your privacy. I think having a business address on your website is a good trust mark. It's, it shows you you are a real business located in a real place. Just a small practical thing, always carry your business cards. It's, I think nowadays there's all sorts of technologies where you can read someone's business card with your phone and it will automatically bring it up on LinkedIn or whatever. But it, it's, it's surprising. Sometimes you, you'll have a chat with someone at business networking and you didn't get on with them at all and they'll call you out of the blue and you get some work out of them. It, and it's only because they found your business card in the drawer that day and it had an issue. It's, it's strange. Um, how you get from talking to someone or your first point of contact 
to getting some work for them. It's, it's not always a sensible path in my experience. It doesn't always make sense. I think sometimes you don't always understand when someone's inquiring about your services that there is an urgency. And sometimes it happens, as it happens to me to this day that if you don't respond to a new business inquiry straight away, you've lost that opportunity. And when I say straight away, I mean that day. So that is important as well. So back to conferences and stuff like that. There's lots of free training events and conferences about. Um, so if you're just in digital marketing and advertising, Brighton SEO is a massive one nowadays. Measure Camp's a very good one. It's like an unconference where people literally rock up and write on the board, I'm gonna do a talk about this in this room. You know, it's sort of very collaborative. So you can learn without paying massive conference fees. Talked about sharing the cost of software tools. Thinking about how, as I've said, these, well, these are sort of common issues for all businesses. Think about how you want to charge by the hour, by the project. Charging by the hour, to me at least, may be more transparent. And not publishing a, tr a price list allows you more flexibility. I'm very Robin Hood about it, from, from each according to their ability um, when it comes to uh, charging. Uh, I think managing clients' expectations is a big thing. You've got to detail in writing in your quotes what is being delivered. You've got, when you make recommendations, you need to give them priority and have caveats as well. If you do not implement this, then the, the project is less likely to succeed. And having something measurable, key performance indicators, allows some clarity about your progress in terms of your work. A little practical thing, schedule meetings to allow off-peak travel if, if you need to travel by uh, the train. Like I try to focus on the London area, I'm about 35 miles away from London in all the shots, so I've, I've always thought that it's a missed opportunity if I don't focus on there and just stay a, a local business. And if you can combine business travel with other activities, it's a better use of your time. So if I have a meeting in London, I'll sometimes have the rest of the day off in London, maybe do a bit of work extra in what, a couple of evenings in that week or something like that. So it's, the, the travel is a business expense, but you're sort of making the most of it really. Thank you very much for listening. Um, so that's, um, the top link is the original blog article which I based the tips on. Uh, there is a book for contractors and freelancers called The Contractor's Handbook by Dave Chaplin. It's very good, very detailed, and he's got a, a website as well, it's called contractorcalculator.co.uk. There is an, an association of independent professionals and the self-employed called the IPSE. Their website is ipse.co.uk. That's the, they have networking events and lots of resources on self-employment. That's my email address, cwjburneroutlook.com. I haven't got around to uh, 
getting professional looking email address yet, 10 years later. It's number one on my to-do list. Um, that's my Twitter, SEO tips and tricks with the N. And that's my website and... Is that enough of that, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.